Welcome to the TLC, the Life Coach Podcast with Matt Halloran. Every week, one of the world's top life coaches, Matt Halloran, will share his wisdom through stories and ideas to help you live the best life possible. Success is only a podcast away. Now, please welcome your host, Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to the next podcast. This is podcast number two of five. We're talking about how you can become an angel here on earth. Angels are everywhere. And are you or can you be one of them? The last podcast we talked about La La Land, which was look, assess, listen, and act, which are the four steps that I believe that you have to do in order to be an angel here on earth. I'm going to tell you another story today. The last one I told you was about an angel that showed up in my life, and now I'm going to tell you a story about a time where I tried to be an angel to somebody else. And sometimes you really don't know the impact your life, words, actions have on other people, either until it's too late or until they make an overt action to show you. At 17, I joined the United States Navy, and I really did it because I wanted to see the world, and my grades kind of stunk, and I wasn't going to get into a good school. I pretty much figured I'd fail out immediately, because I was more interested in partying and girls than I was in academics. So I wanted to take a time to grow up. I did very well on the ASVAB, which is the test to go into the Navy, and so I was able to get in higher rated than most people, and went through boot camp, was terrible, all boot camp is. But then what ended up happening was I got assigned to this ship. And the ship was called the USS Nitro, AE-23. The Nitro was an ammunition replenishment ship, which wasn't a very original name for an ammunition replenishment ship. And it was a floating bomb. If we would be hit anywhere on our ship with any sort of explosive, we'd blow up in a five-square-mile area because of all of the ammunition we had on board. So it was rather stressful. And a lot of times when you're going into the United States Navy or any sort of service, there are ways to get in that aren't so favorable. And sometimes what happens is judges, and this doesn't happen as much anymore, but it happened a lot when I was young. They would say you can do one of two things. You can go to jail or you can join the service. And so there were people on our ship who should have gone to prison but or jail but ended up joining the Navy instead. And the story today is about one of those people. I had a pretty cushy job when I was in the Navy. <clears throat> it was actually pretty cool. Um, I was like the Radar O'Reilly from MASH. I was the captain's secretary. My entire existence was following the captain around and pretty much getting yelled at all day long. I did things like the judicial system. I took people in when they first came on board, and I discharged them when they were done. And there was one weekend where I was on duty all by myself. There wasn't anybody else who did my job on board, and there were like six of us in the office. And I got a call to come down to the, well, the main deck, really, and get this guy to come on board and get him processed. 
And I showed up, and I showed up in my my regular work outfit. I, I wasn't dressed up in any sort of dress uniform, and he was dressed in civilian clothes, which was fine and acceptable at the time. And I walked up to him to introduce myself, and he wouldn't even shake my hand or give me eye contact. Now, you don't have to necessarily shake somebody's hand. You don't have to salute somebody when you're in civilian clothes, but it is etiquette to at least acknowledge the person's rate and rank and also provide some sort of courteous, how you doing? I got none of that. So we walked upstairs to my office and I grabbed his, his packet, which is a sealed packet that they give you when you go on board your ship for the first time. And I open up his packet and I start going through things like I was trained to do. And I was rather efficient at going through and getting somebody on board and assigning them to their division and hooking them up with the people who they were going to be hooked up with and uh, who they were going to report to and all of that. No eye contact. This guy would not make eye contact with me at all. He didn't respond to any of my questions verbally. He just nodded. And I could tell very, very quickly that he really, really didn't want to be here. I mean, a, a, a blind, deaf, mute person would know that this person didn't want to be here because of just the absolute negative energy flowing out of this gentleman's body. So I went and contacted the machinist division that he was involved in. And there was a guy, his name was Heavy D. And Heavy D was this wonderfully large African-American guy. He was about six foot two, maybe 325 pounds. And he was a monster of a human being, but he was one of the nicest people you would ever meet in your life, even though he was so intimidating from the outside. Heavy came upstairs and said, you know, hey, Seaman Johnson, you ready to go? Seaman Johnson didn't say anything. And Heavy D was going to be his direct report. And this was a bad start for this guy, Johnson. So Heavy looked at me and he goes, what the heck's up with this guy? And I said, I don't know. He hasn't really said anything to me at this point. But I figure he's in good hands with you. And so Heavy went ahead and didn't really pull him out of the office, but kind of got around him. And the Johnson wasn't as large as Heavy D. He was a pretty big guy, but he wasn't that large. And he took him down to where he was going to sleep, showed him where his rack was, which is what our beds were called. Had him unpack and get ready. Something hit me. And I was sitting in the office after Johnson left. And back then you could smoke on the ship, which was, of course was idiotic because I was on an ammunition ship with bombs everywhere, smoking something flammable. I leaned back and I kicked my feet up and I pulled out a Marlboro Red and I lit it up. I took a really long drag. And as I'm taking that drag and the, the, uh, the end of it is just lighting up and it's becoming so bright, I made it my personal mission that I wanted this guy Seaman Johnson to realize that there was somebody who gave a crap about him at all. Now, I didn't know if Johnson was going to want me to do this. In fact, the probability of him wanting me to do this was, was very, very low. But I was going to do it anyway. I was the guy around the ship who would walk up to just about anybody and tell them that I loved them and that they were awesome. And I've just always been a very positive person. And a lot of times it's received very well. They would just say, oh, that's Petty Officer Haller and he's an idiot. Uh, and, you know, just I kind of walk around like a puppy dog. And that's just been my existence for 45 years. Every single solitary day, 
I would walk by Seaman Johnson's rack, which is his bed again, his birthing unit where he slept. And every single solitary day on my way up to my office, I would say something to him. At first, it became just a cordial hello. I would walk by, extend my hand and say, hey, welcome aboard. Hello. And he would ignore me. I did that for about two weeks, just pretty consistently. Well, actually, it was every day. Every day I did this to Johnson, and I just started to step it up over and over and over again. See, I personally believe that part of being an angel isn't always just flying in and out of a person's life, but it's being there consistently to provide some sort of insight or support. And so I stepped it up. And have you noticed what I was doing? And every time I would come in, he'd say, oh, crap, here's Petty Officer Haller. And again, I guess he's going to talk to Johnson. I'd walk right over to uh, to Seaman Johnson, and I would start stepping it up. Hey, man, you know, you look great today. And he would start swearing at me and cussing and getting in my face. And, of course, I knew he wasn't going to hit me. Heavy D was standing right there. Heavy was a good friend of mine. But he just he kept stepping it up, and so I kept stepping it up. And then there was a switch. It took about three months with me and Seaman Johnson going back and forth. And I saw a change. Instead of him scowling and furrowing his brow and and getting really aggressive and angry with his posture, his posture started to change. He just relaxed. And about three and a half months in, it started to become jovial. It started to become playful. And Seaman Johnson didn't swear at me anymore. He didn't get up in my face. He didn't threaten to beat me up. He would just say flippant things. Like, man, you're an idiot. Leave me alone. But he would do that with a smile. And, of course, he didn't say, you're an idiot. There was many expletives like there usually is when you're on a ship. But it changed. I kept doing it because I believe that persistence is a magnificent trait, annoying to some, but it has allowed me to be successful in my life. Hopefully change people's lives. So it was about six months in. Johnson and I actually started playing spades together. So the whole thing worked, right? He he realized that I cared about him, that I wanted him to be successful, that there was at least one person on the ship, one person in his life, especially a white person, who gave a crap about him at all. I could understand after talking to him why he hated what I represented so badly. But I wanted him to know that there was at least one person. It didn't really matter to me that I was white or black, but it mattered to him. It mattered to him that there was one goofy, bald-headed white guy who really wanted him to be successful. couple weeks later, Heavy D comes up to my office and he says, hey man, Johnson got in trouble. I said, what? Like, you know, him and I have been hanging out. You know, what, what is he doing? He said he's going to get busted for weed. He popped on a whiz quiz, which in regular terms, he had a urinalysis and he tested positive for marijuana. Now, 
I was making progress with him and had made a lot of progress with him, but not a lot of other people did. He was still very resistant to any sort of authority and gotten in a lot of verbal trouble with a lot of his superiors. So him getting testing positive for a urinalysis was was really, really bad news. So part of my job was I stood behind the captain when the captain did something called captain's mass, which was our legal system on the ship. I knew Johnson was going to go up in front of the captain, and I knew that this wasn't, be, wasn't going to be good. And I, I, felt, I felt really, really sad. But I, I'm not allowed to tell anybody that I know this stuff because that was part of my clearance and part of my responsibility to the ship. So I couldn't tell Johnson that I knew he was in trouble so that I could try to continue and even actually increase my level of support. I, could, I couldn't do it. And I don't know if he knew that I was going to be at Captain's Mast when he was there. But when he made eye contact with me, there was so much sorrow. There was so much remorse, so much disappointment that was on his face when he looked at me. Now, I wasn't supposed to make prolonged eye contact with anybody during this because any sort of prolonged eye contact during a trial or during this captain's mask could end up in escalation. So I broke eye contact and and did my job. The captain said that he was going to discharge him with what was referred to as an other than honorable discharge. So he was still able to get some benefits, but not an honorable discharge. And it wasn't a dishonorable discharge. He was standing at attention, Seaman Johnson, when the captain read his verdict. And he tried to act stoic. You could just tell that he was trying to still hold on to that that toughness that had allowed him to be able to survive in the environments that he had lived in before he came into the Navy. But he also knew that if he ever went back, because we had talked about this while we were playing spades, if he ever went back to where he was, that he would end up in jail or dead. Captain read his verdict and Johnson's head fell. He saluted the captain and turned around and was escorted down to the master at arms, which was our police officer on the ship, where she started doing her paperwork. And I went upstairs, and of course, it's the military. It's a government organization, so there's all sorts of paperwork. So I start doing Seaman Johnson's paperwork. About an hour and a half later, I got a call that our master at arms was done and she was going to bring him up to finish up his final paperwork. So I prepared myself and I asked people to leave the office. Now I knew the master at arms was going to be there if something happened, but I knew Seaman Johnson wasn't, wasn't going to do anything. But I said, you know, had like a minute when everybody knew, Everybody knew that I had made a, an overt, just a, a ridiculous level of effort to try to make a connection with this guy. And even though that I was the senior ranking person in the office, they still followed my instructions and my order and they left. 
And so when Seaman Johnson came up, he came up into an office just like the one he walked in on, on the weekend that he came to the ship. Just me and him. Our master at arms looked around and she said, are are you okay with, with him being here alone in the room with you? And I said, yeah, yes, uh, Petty Officer Vaughn, it's, it's entirely fine. So she closed the door behind him. We called them hatches. She closed the hatch behind him. And in fact, I found out later that she stood outside the door and listened because she was concerned that Johnson was going to become volatile. He had been volatile before, mind you, never in front of me, but he had been volatile with other of his shipmates. He had pushed a couple of guys at one point, got in some people's faces, swearing, saying very inappropriate things. But he never did that to me. So what ends up happening is I push the paperwork across the table and I said, I need you to sign here and here. And I said, I'm sorry. I know what you're going back to. And I don't wish that on anybody, especially a friend like you. Seaman Johnson started to cry, um, and, and it took every ounce of personal strength for me not just to start crying as hard as he was. But there were definitely tears going down my face, too. And he said, Petty Officer Halloran, you're the first white person who has ever tried to be nice to me. You're the first person who saw through my air, saw through the stuff that I would always throw at people because I was so terrified of letting anybody in, but, but you wore me down and I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to feel that somebody in my life cared. So I stood up and I extended my hand to him after he had signed his paperwork, but that wasn't going to be enough for Seaman Johnson. Seaman Johnson wiped his eyes and his nose off on his shirt. He was wearing a civilian outfit at the time. And I did the same thing on my military uniform, and I extended my hand to him, and he grabbed me, and he gave me this huge hug, and he told me he was sorry that he was sorry that he let me down. I don't know what happened to Seaman Johnson. We didn't have things like Facebook back then or cell phones. And I only had his address, which of course got shuffled away in paperwork probably days later. But I hope he's still alive because I know inside of him there's a wonderful human being. I know that he had the chance and has the chance if he's still out there to be the kind of person that can just make people's lives better because he had somebody in his life that tried to do the same. When you try to be an angel on this earth, you have to look, assess, listen, and act. I did that with Seaman Johnson. And even though my assessment wasn't always 100% spot on, because there were times where he was really about to take me out 
at least punch me in the face. And if you've ever been punched in the face before, you know that's not really very much fun. But it didn't matter to me. And when you're an angel, make sure you're being safe. But take calculated risks because there are times that when you take those calculated risks, you can truly change somebody's life. You can truly make somebody's life better, even if it's for just an instant. Thank you. Be an angel. Live in La La Land. And try with me to change the world. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy life to listen to our podcast. Remember, a single change, no matter how big or small, can start you on your path to live your best life possible. You deserve it. We will see you on the other side of the mic soon. Have a wonderful day.